going to uh, continue our exposition this morning. We're going to do this quick review, overview where we've been and try to get us caught back up to, to speed. And um, we finished off in John chapter 3. Next week, Lord willing, we'll come back together and pick up where we left off in John 3.16 and uh, continue going on from there. Before we begin, um, I know it's been a long time, but I want to see how much perhaps you have uh, retained um, since, we've, since we've met last. So I'll throw it out to you and let you um, tell me, how would you sort of summarize where we've been in John? Um, what are some themes that have stood out to you? What are, what are some things that we have, have talked about? been a while, so I don't know. The light came into the world, but the darkness yeah. rejected despite Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you see that theme all through John, the, the depravity of mankind um, in the highest display of the revelation of God, man still rejects it. Yeah. New life. I'm sorry? New life. New life, yeah. And we saw that the last, very last lesson, the new birth, you know, all that that includes. Um, yep. Jesus' authority over everything, calling, regenerating. Yeah, that's right. So you see that, especially in the, the first disciples, he's initiating every one of them. If he has a sheep and he seeks them out, he carries them to himself, so that's good. Yeah. Any others? I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 20. It's where we begin our whole study in the Gospel of John, and it's John's purpose statement. John 20, 30 through 31. You probably have it memorized. I'll read it really quickly. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, that is, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John tells us right here that he intentionally composed his gospel, selecting material carefully um, in order to call his readers to faith. That's what John is doing in his gospel. Um, his goal is that we would come to the same confession that the disciples did. My Lord and what? My, my God. That's what John wants us to confess. Um, and even though none of those who came after the disciples, who came to believe in Christ, had the same eyewitness experience that the disciples had. Nevertheless, their faith and our faith is no less certain, no less real, and no less blessed by God. Um, in other words, we have no less advantage than the first disciples. And we are no less accountable to believe than the first eyewitnesses. And that's what John is trying to tell us here. Well, why? Why is that the case? It's because John demonstrates that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He demonstrates that. Jesus is God's appointed representative and Savior by recording how Jesus manifested his what? His glory. His glory. Jesus revealed his identity as Messiah through his signs. John says Jesus did many signs that are not written, but these signs are written so that you might believe. So what are signs? What do you remember? We've talked a little bit about them. 
Do you remember what we've said? What are signs in the Gospel of John? We would say the miracles. Okay, good. They're miraculous works, usually. Um, there's some except exceptions to that, um, but usually they're miraculous. Yeah. Good. Clearly, yeah. something that a man can't yeah. So they reveal um, his deity. Yeah. Yeah. So all those signs point to who he is. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Good. What else? They're, they're a test. Oh, sorry. They're a test of like prophets in the Old Testament. Good. Good. Yep. Yep. It's very uh, rooted in the Old Testament what, what prophets would do. It would reveal that he is sent from God. Um, and then it was very similar to what the prophets would do. You think about Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Sometimes they would do signs, and they weren't even miraculous works. They were symbolic, illustrative acts um, that would illustrate their, their message. In a very similar way, that's what, that's what Jesus' signs are. They're symbolic acts which pointed beyond themselves. The signs were meant to teach something about Jesus who performed them. Yeah. They were the fulfillment of... They prophesied that he would do these things, mm -hmm. and he fulfilled them. Good, good. Yep, yep. The Messiah was going to be the one who would come and perform these signs. That's right. Um, so signs were meant to point beyond themselves to, to the Jesus who, who performed them. In other words, Jesus revealed his glory, his person, and the work that he came to accomplish through his signs. The signs reveal the glory of Jesus. Look to chapter 2, okay? We're going somewhere with this. The signs reveal the glory of Christ. John chapter 2, verse 11. After his very first sign that he does, changing water into wine, look what it says. The signs reveal the glory of Jesus. Verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Jesus' signs are not just miraculous works. They are symbolic manifestations of his glory. They reveal who he is, God. It reveals his character, but it also reveals what kind of Messiah, just what he has come to do, his work that he's come to perform. They're all pointing forward to the cross. And so in John, he records seven signs. Chapter 2 through 12, some people call it the book of signs. In chapter 13 through 19, people call the book of exaltation, how these signs are fulfilled in the cross and in the resurrection. That's what John is doing. But not everyone who saw the signs of Christ recognized his glory, right? Many people saw what Christ is doing with these signs, and they failed to look beyond the signs. They're just enamored with these miraculous works. They fail to see the Savior they pointed to. And the same is true of those who read the Gospel of John. Many people read this and they fail to see the glory. In the same way, some came to know and embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior as they look beyond the signs to his glory, which they manifested. And in the same way, some who come to the Gospel of John, this book, and read it, and see beyond the signs to the glory of Christ also Come to faith. In other words, this is the key. Faith does not depend on physical sight. 
That's what John is saying. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are those who believe but do not see. Faith doesn't depend on physical sight. It depends on spiritual sight. Spiritual sight that beholds the glory of Christ, that recognizes Jesus as he truly is. You say, okay, Michael, what, what do we mean by glory? What does that mean? What does his glory consist of? Um, what is glory? What makes him glorious? Um, what do you think? What have we seen so far in the Gospel of John? What makes Jesus glorious? Um, what is his glory? What is it? What do we mean when we say the glory of Christ? <clears throat> think? Anything we've seen? I think of uh, 151. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's good. A yep. picture of his glory giving us access to the Holy of Holies. Excellent. Excellent. Yep. Yep. Very good. And that points exactly to his person and what he has come to, to accomplish. That's why he's glorious. Very good. What else? What makes Jesus glorious? What have we seen so far in John? Declaration of the Father. Yeah. At that point, John the Baptist was the one who everyone thought was glorious. Yeah. Like, you know, it's good. It's one of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Very good. It's great. Anything else? Can it be his passion for righteousness mm -hmm. uh, with the cleansing of the temple? Excellent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. His indignation over just the, the worship of God being abused. Mm -hmm. Here's a few things I, I jotted down that we've seen in just these three chapters in John. He's glorious because he's the eternal creator of God, existing eternally with the Father and the Spirit. He's glorious because he's condescended um, from his position as eternal God, not to lose that, but to take on frail human flesh, not just for a moment in time, but for the rest of eternity. Think about that. Jesus is forever now God and man. Not in order to take some advantage to himself, but in order to suffer the most horrific death imaginable. He's glorious for that. He's glorious because of his perfect submission to the Father. We've seen that in the first sign that he did, aiming from day one to the cross. This is why I'm saying my hour has not yet come. He's after the mission of the Father, perfectly in submission to him. He's glorious because he replaces all the shadows of the Old Testament. All these things of the Old Testament that are preparing for Christ, he's better than them, he's greater than them, and he replaces every one of them. We saw this in chapter 1, he's the greater and better Sinai because he fully manifests the character of God. God's steadfast love and faithfulness are put on a greater display of the cross than they were on Mount Sinai. He's the greater and better Moses because he's not just a mediator between God and man, but he is very God and very man and able to perfectly mediate a new covenant. He's a greater and better temple because he's the final meeting place with God and he offers unhindered fellowship with God the Father. And he's the greater and better king because he would come to usher in a time of not just political salvation, but salvation from our greatest need. Cleansing from sin in the new heart. He's better than everything that was before him, and in that is his glory. So let me show you a couple of verses. Go to chapter 1. 
This is what we mean when we're talking about the glory of Christ. We're not talking about you're imagining some bright light or you're imagining some, some, some visible picture. It's, it's truth. These are his glory. Chapter 1, verse 17. Look what it says here. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Look back up at verse 16 now. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And we talked back then, it's literally grace in the place of grace. He has come, the grace that he offers is greater than and so replaces all the grace in the Old Testament. He's come to bring a new way of, of salvation through his own sacrifice. Look at chapter 1, verse 26, is what Mr. Miller was saying. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me. Strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. The greatest has come last. John was the last of the prophets, yet the one who comes after John is the greatest. That, that's not expected. The one who comes first is the greatest, right? It's not the case. And look at chapter 2. The, the changing of water to wine, verse 10. The bridegroom said, everyone serves the good wine first. There it is. The best comes first. And when the people are drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. That whole miracle was to point to Christ in his glory. The best comes last in Christ. And that's why he's glorious. And these are just a few instances of the, of the glory of Christ. It's put on display in his teaching and his signs. And ultimately what he accomplishes at the cross. Um, so we've seen two signs already in John, changing water to wine and the cleansing of the temple, and we're going to see more, um, more to come. So all that to say, this is what John is after. This is what he's after in his gospel, putting the glory of Christ on display to us so that we would see it and respond with faith. He wants us to say with the disciples in chapter 1, verse 14, we have seen his glory. That's the confession faith. So let me give you an example of what I mean of this. What, what do we mean by faith beholds the glory of Christ? Um, you remember John 3.15, it was our last lesson before we finished. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We said that's probably one of the best illustrations of saving faith. Saving faith looks outside of itself. It realizes I have nothing. My hope is outside of me. I look outside of me to what God has provided and promise. So what does that have to do with beholding the glory of Christ? I say it's when we believe we're looking at Christ in dependent expectation, but, but why? Why do we look to him? It's because we've come to know and love and see the supremacy and the glory and the worth and the absolute sufficiency of everything that he accomplished on the cross. We hear the gospel, maybe someone sharing with it with us, maybe it's a preacher, maybe my mom or my dad when I was a child, or reading a book, and we come away and we say, yes, that is exactly what I need. Christ is sufficient. He accomplished it all. He's so merciful, he's so faithful, he's so reliable, and I depend on that alone. That's what we mean. We behold his glory, and we depend upon it. And that's what John wants to happen. Um, and probably his original intent when he wrote John is for evangelism so that people would come to know Christ. They'd be saved. 
But you say, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm a believer. I, I, I've come to Christ many, many years ago. Um, why are we studying John if his purpose is to call us to faith? Well, the answer is because true faith is not just a one-time glance and then we move on to other things. It is a lifetime of beholding the glory of Christ. It is a lifetime of knowing and growing in our love and admiration of his glory. That is what we need. Knowing the glory of God in Christ is our daily duty. It's to occupy our thoughts and affections and grow in ever-increasing intensity every day. This is what I am to be after. This is what John wants us to be after. We're not simply saved by beholding the glory of Christ by faith. We're saved in order to behold the glory of Christ. Remember in John 17, what does, what does Jesus pray? He says, Father, I pray that they may be with me where I am. Can you finish the verse? What does he say? Well, that's chapter 14. Chapter 17 says, pray that they may be where I am so that they may behold my glory. That's why we're saved, so that we might behold his glory forever. So I just want to, in our, we have a few minutes left, I want to read to you a few um, quotes here from John Owen. I, I began, actually, our study by reading some quotes by him. Um, he wrote a book called The Glories of Christ. I've been reading through it. Um, it's excellent. Um, excellent work. And uh, here's a few things. Just uh, help us chew on and meditate and think about as we're going through John and also in my, my, my life, as I'm growing, what am I pursuing um, in my life? Um, so let me just bring out a couple points here and we'll wrap things up. First thing is um, how do we behold the glory of Christ? What do we mean, behold the glory of Christ? Let's look what John Owen says here. Owen says, Diligently study the scripture and the revelations that are made of this glory of Christ in them. To behold it is not a work of fancy or imagination. It's not fantasy. We're not just imagining things. It's not conversing with an image framed by the art of men without, or that of our own fancy within, but of faith exercised on divine revelations. The direction he gives us himself in John 5.39, search the scriptures, for they are they which testify of me. This is the glory of scripture, that it is the great, yes, the only outward means of representing to us the glory of Christ. That's exactly the point we made from John 20.31, right? It's through the scriptures, John's gospel in particular, that we come to see the glory of Christ. It's not through imagination. It's not through some picture. How do we behold the glory of Christ? It's in the truths of scripture as you receive them by faith. That's what Owen tells us. Number two, now that we've come to faith in Christ, we're not to move on. We don't just come to this fountain of life one time and then move on to other springs. It's our daily duty to drink from this well and to grow in our knowledge and affection of the glory of Christ. Listen to Owen again. Having attained the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ from Scripture, or by the dispensation of the truth and the preaching of the gospel, meditate on it frequently. Want of this fundamental mistake keeps many among us so low in their grace, so regardless 
of their privileges. They hear these things. They hear lessons on the Gospel of John. They assent to the truth of them. At least they do not gainsay them, but they never solemnly meditate upon them. This they esteem a work that is above them, or they're totally ignorant of it, or esteem themselves not much concerned in it, or dislike it as fanaticism. For no considerations can engage a carnal mind to delight in this. The mind must be spiritual and holy, free from earthly affections and encumbrances, raised above things here below, to meditate in a due manner on the glory of Christ. Therefore, most are strangers to this duty, because they will not go to the trouble and charge of that mortification of earthly affections, that retirement from the occasions of life which are required. What is John Owen saying there? He's saying that meditating on the glory of Christ is not just a duty. It's our greatest privilege and joy. And yet, many neglect this duty. Many neglect spending time with him, meditating on thinking about his, his glory. Our flesh is naturally bent away from Christ. We're, we're, we, we are naturally inclined to anything to satisfy us other than, than Christ, and it requires war. It requires fighting against our flesh. We would much rather satisfy our hearts with Facebook and with TV and movies and books and friends and all good things, innocent in themselves for the most part, but not Christ. And if we would have the glory of Christ fill our affections, we must make war. Owen says. We must be disciplined in our life and fill our life with the scriptures. So how are you doing? How are you doing in your personal time with, with the Lord? Do you come to the word eager to know God in Christ more fully? Or is it just a cold duty? I'm not saying there's not dry times. I'm not saying that's not hard sometimes. What drives you? Why do you want to come to the Word? Is it to know God in Christ? That should be it. That's what we're after. And so why are we studying John? We're studying John to add fodder to the fire, to, to put sweet morsels of the glory of Christ on your tongue so you say, yes, he is that. I want to know him more, and I want to, to go after him more with all my life. That's why we are studying this gospel. So first, behold the glory of Christ um, by faith through the scripture. Second, labor daily to meditate on it and, and fight your flesh. Third, what we mean by beholding the glory of Christ is not merely gathering information <coughs> and having intellectual assent to its truth, but by being affected in our hearts, uh, by having desire, delight in his glory. Again, listen to John Owen. When by faith we have attained a view of the glory of Christ and our contemplations of his person, we should not pass over it as a notion of truth to which we assent, that he is thus glorious in himself, but endeavor to affect our hearts with it as that wherein our principal interest lies, wherein it will be effectual to the transformation of our souls into his image. In other words, you're commanded to delight yourself in the Lord. Seek him, know him, press on to know his glory and to be affected and delight in it. That's what we're after. And you say, Michael, that sounds uh, very pietistic, that sounds very devotional, but how is that very practical to, to life? 
and we could go there, um, go there um, in your own time. Second Corinthians three eighteen, Paul says, "As we behold the glory of Christ, what happens? We are being changed into the same image from glory to glory. It's as we behold that we become. You want to grow in Christ likeness? Do you want to bear much fruit? To use John fifteen language, what do you do? You abide in the vine. You behold the glory of Christ. You make Him." Your supreme satisfaction and the focus of, of your life. So the call is not to be monks sitting off somewhere in a, in a cloister and it's all you're doing. Um, the goal is to grow in your, in your knowledge of Christ and, um, and bear much fruit. So labor by faith through the scriptures to know God in Christ, know his glory, see his glory um, put on display in the pages of scripture. You know, Mike, real yeah. quick, just uh the idea that uh, what's our motivation to, uh, as you're talking about getting the word into our lives, it's our food. Yeah. It's our sustenance. Uh, you know, it's, it's what we, just like we think about eating every day. I mean, it's, it, 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 there's no other substitute. And we right. should be hungry and we should, uh, you know, go after it. That's right. That's right. Yep. And, well, there, and there's many motivations to go to the word, too. You can get direction for your life. You can have... Um, you be guarded from sin and all, all correct things. I'd say this is the primary one that we would know God and uh, in Christ. It's mm -hmm. exactly right. So let me give you just a few practical suggestions here. Um, and um, application and practical suggestions uh, are helpful to an extent, but they fall short because it will vary from person to person. But let me just give you three pretty general ones beyond the need to just be daily saturated in the word. Fill your life with the scriptures, but beyond that, how can we go after this? Number one, I would say buy and read good, rich books. The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Books that seek to teach and explain the gospel. Try to read a new book on the cross every year. Read books on the character and attributes of God. Read the Puritans. Read John Owen on the glories of Christ. Fill your heart with truth. Number two, fill your ears with good music. I know the, con the, the topic of music can be controversial, um, so I'm not talking about style. I'm just talking about fill your heart and your ears with music rich in gospel truth, music that sings about sin and repentance and forgiveness, and atonement, and justification, and rich theology. Fill your ears and hearts with that. I love the old hymns because they're so helpful here, but there are many new songs as well. Um, be intentional. Number three, cultivate a life of prayer. And here I'm preaching mainly to myself. I fail here. Prayer is the way we practically experience communion with God. Prayer is the way we fill our heart with the truths of Scripture and bring them back to the Lord. Don't be in a hurry. Go hide yourself somewhere. Get alone with Christ and pray the truths of his glory back to him. Commune with him here. Be much in the confession of your sin. That's the way we experience, experience the gospel. So the purpose of this lesson is to remind you, why are we in the gospel of John? What are we after? Yes, most of us in here are believers. We've come to know, but the call is to let us know. Let's press on to know him. Let's see his glory more. Let's seek to be satisfied with it more and more. Let me read one more quote here by John Owen. We'll be 
be done. He says, it is to be feared that there are some who profess religion with an appearance of strictness, who never separate themselves from all other occasions to meditate on Christ and his glory. Yet with a strange inconsistency of apprehensions, they will profess that they desire nothing more than to behold his glory forever in heaven. But it is evident, even in the light of reason, that these things are irreconcilable. It is impossible that he who never meditates with delight on the glory of Christ here in this world, who labors not to behold it by faith as it is revealed in the scriptures, should ever have any real gracious desire to behold it in heaven. It's easy to say we desire to behold the glory of Christ in heaven, but do I desire to behold it now? Am I seeking to know it and behold it now by faith in the scriptures? That's why we're in John. And um, that's why... We need to be in the Word every day. So it's we are out of time. I, I'll, I'll cut us off there. Um, are there any questions, comments? It's a rich book, and I'm really excited to jump in. I encourage you to be reading ahead. Um, John 3:16 and follow. Yeah. Um, the books that you mentioned, do they have them in like a simplified form that I could understand? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of what you were saying, it was too deep for me to understand. Do sure. they have them in like a simplified form for people who, like me, could understand? <laughs> um, yes, there there are many. Um, again, the Puritans are difficult, so yes, I've noticed. don't encourage everybody to jump <laughs> into the Puritans. They're very helpful. Um, there are a number of books. A little book nook here um, in the church. There's a little book, I haven't picked it up yet, I've heard great things about it, by Bruce Ware called The Man Christ Jesus. Has anyone read that book? Um, heard it's excellent. Just one example of many rich books out there, written on an easy level, um, just describing the humanity and the deity of Christ. Um, Holiness by God by, by R.C. Sproul is not hard. Gospel Primer is excellent. Um, C.J. Mahaney on the Gospel-Centered Life. I mean, there's, there's plenty, so I encourage you to dig, dig around in there. So, there are some yeah. books like that, but I just find them way too deep for me. Sure. And again, I said application can vary from person to person. Maybe it's getting some sermons online. Maybe it's uh, listening to uh, to a person doing some lectures on, on, on a topic. Um, I just need people to use simple language, sure. not those big words that they keep hearing. Sure. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, very good. All right, let me pray. We'll let you go. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ. Thank you for revealing him. For Lord, it's through him alone that we can be reconciled to you, and it's in him alone that um, we'll be satisfied for eternity. Oh, Father, let us not deceive ourselves to think that we love him and desire to be with him. I have no desire um, for that today. Lord, I ask that you help us, Lord. <laughs> Thank you. Please teach us the service to come in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, you are dismissed. It's good to be back with you. I do not know. Praise Factory, anybody? Yes. Yes, all right. Stack the chairs.